I'm happy to be with you all today. My name is Jason Dexter, and I'm very excited because today I'm going to begin studying with you through the book of Revelation. Revelation is a book that many people are uneasy about studying. It's not the first book that most people will study in a small group Bible study because Revelation is mysterious. It's puzzling. There are many things we don't understand in the book of Revelation. There are beasts and plagues and metaphors. There are all kinds of symbols, symbolism. You have visions and, and strange beings that we've never experienced or seen before. Now, many of the best Bible, the best Bible study uh, scholars in the world do not agree on how to interpret a number of things inside Revelation. Now, this difficulty has led many to avoid studying this book altogether. Those who do are missing out. Okay, Revelation is a very special book. And it's amazing because actually Revelation is the only book in the Bible that contains a blessing for those who read and obey it as we will see as we get started on that today. Now, there's something I discovered recently as I began studying and teaching through this book, and it's right at the very beginning in chapter 1. So I want to go ahead and read Revelation verses 1, 1 through 3, and we're going to have a take a look at the introduction to this book, and we will see the theme which will really guide us through this book as we study it together. Revelation 1, 1 through 3. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near." So, we need to take a look at Revelation here, one verse 1. The very beginning, the first sentence, has a very critical piece of information for us. And that is that it's called the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And this phrase right here contains the theme of the entire book of Revelation. So, what is this a revelation of? We know that this book is called Revelation. What is it revealing? It's a revelation of Jesus. Now, a revelation usually means to reveal something, to uncover it, to show it off. Uh, perhaps you might have a monument that would be unveiled, a movie or a book that may have a revelation and then be shown to the world. A person, of course, has a revelation when he becomes aware of something which he never knew before. So this book is a revelation. And it's a revelation of Jesus. It's not focusing on the beasts and the visions and the symbolism. The focus of this book is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He will be revealed for all to see. Now, Jesus was made visible in part at his first coming. Uh, he had disciples, some of whom believed in him and then taught others about him. And hundreds Perhaps even thousands of people believed and followed Jesus. But this was still a very small part of the world, and many people did not see him at his first coming. But at his second coming, it will be different. He will be unveiled. He will be made visible for, later in chapter 1, it says, for every eye to see him. 
So every single person in the world will see him in his power and in his glory as he truly is. When Jesus came the first time, we know of the event called the Transfiguration, when three of Jesus' disciples saw him in his glory on top of that mountain. Well, the second time that he's coming, every person on earth will see him and will know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is real. There will be no more atheists. There will be no more agnostics. Every single person will recognize who Jesus is. So that is what Revelation is really about. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now that's an exciting thing because now we have faith in Jesus. We believe that he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that is what faith is. So I want to read a verse here from Hebrews 11.1 about faith. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So our faith is currently based on something we do not see. We have not seen Jesus with our own eyes. We believe in him. We trust in him. We believe what the Bible says about him. But we have not seen him. But when Jesus is revealed, all will be able to see him. That means that our faith will be validated. No longer will people mock. No longer will anyone deny Jesus' existence. No longer will people say he was just a good person. They will know him for who he is, the Son of God. Thus, the focus of the book of Revelation is not really on the Antichrist, the mark of the beast, the judgments, or even the angels, or all of these amazing beings in heaven, or even on heaven itself, the focus is Jesus. Now currently, Jesus is working more behind the scenes. He is interceding for us at the right hand of God, but then he will be unveiled. Everyone will know him as the creator, the king, the savior, the lion of Judah, the alpha, and the omega. So as we go through this book together, our focus should be on Jesus. We are his followers. Let us fix our eyes on him. Now, it could be very easy when we study through the book of Revelation to have many debates on lesser points of eschatology. Should we study those things about the rapture or the tribulation or the millennium or all of these things? Of course, we should study them. When God takes the effort to put something into his word, we should study it and we should seek to understand. But we need to do that with an emphasis on how these things point to Jesus and glorify him. Our goal is not to debate with each other. Our goal is not to prove ourselves right. And we don't want to go too deep into those things which may distract us from the main object we should be focusing on, who is Jesus himself. So our hope as we study through this book of Revelation is that we will have a deeper understanding of our Lord and Savior and a closer walk with him. Now, if you continue on in this Verse, it says, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. God gave him, Jesus, to show to his servants. So God the Father presented to God the Son the record of Jesus' future glory. 
Now, if you've studied through Philippians chapter 2, you're familiar with the passage that, that tells us how of Jesus' incarnation. He became a man and he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. So God is going to exalt him. At the end of that passage, it says that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. So Revelation is the detailed story of exactly how this future exaltation will take place. One day, every knee will bow. One day, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. How is that going to happen? What are the events which will take place around that? That's what Revelation is here to tell us about. So the purpose of this revelation you can see in this verse is primarily for our benefit. It's for his servants. Jesus is to take this record and then pass it to us. Now, being God, Jesus knew this from eternity past. So when it says that God gave him this revelation, it doesn't mean that Jesus then knew what was going to happen. Jesus, of course, is the creator. Everything that exists comes through him. So this is not a new revelation for him. When it says that God gave this to Jesus, it means God entrusted this to his care so that he would then pass it on to us. So Jesus is entrusted with that and then he gives it to us so that we can know the things that are going to happen. Well, why is it important for believers to know the prophecies described in Revelation about what is to come? That's a question you can consider even right now. Why do we need to know these things and how should it affect our lives now? That's a question you should be thinking about as we study through this book. Obviously, this gives us a hope and a confidence in him that he wins, right? And so this encourages us to keep the faith and to persevere to the end. So let's keep continue, keep on thinking about how this would affect our lives now, even as we study about what is to come. Now, this passage also says that these things must soon take place that phrasing could confuse some people. Now, many Bible passages describe us as being in the last days or the last hour. It's a very common way of describing. And 1 John 2.18 says the same thing. It says, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming, so many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. So the Bible often talks about this last hour or this last days period or it is coming quickly. Now naturally we may be a little confused about that. The last hour, wasn't this written nearly 2,000 years ago? How can this be the last hour? Well, the last days or the last hour is a period of time encompassing the whole church age in between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. Now, we don't know how long these last days will be. The early church thought that they would be very short and that Jesus would return soon. But that has been longer than they expected, and now it's almost 2,000 years. So these last days were a mystery. The whole church age is a mystery in the Old Testament. So Jesus' first coming and his second coming, before he came the first time, they were viewed as one event 
by the Old Testament Jews. They'd never thought, okay, the Messiah is coming two times. They thought he's coming once. But in fact, he was coming two times. So there is a valley between this first coming and the second coming, which is the church age, a mystery age, which they didn't know about or realize before. Now, God was very intentional when he did not tell us the exact time of Jesus's return. Now, for parents out there, you may know that if you tell your child something like, okay, I'm going to go out for an errand and I'll be back at five o'clock. What is your child likely to do? Well, likely he's going to play and enjoy himself until perhaps around 4.30 or 4.45. And he looks at his watch and he says, oh, my parents are coming back soon. I'd better hurry up and do my chores. I'd better hurry up and do my homework. But if your child does not know when you're coming back, then he needs to to be ready at all the time because it could happen at any time. So God specifically designed the second coming to be imminent. Imminent means it could happen at any time and we don't know when it will be. So we should be ready all the time because it could happen at any time. Now, it's also helpful for us to remember that to God, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. The events in the book of Revelation are fixed. God knows the exact hour when they will occur. Now, history is speeding toward this epic climax. For our part, God designed it to be unknown and imminent so that every generation would live with that expectancy and readiness that is required. Now, at the same time, we know that people will mock and people will say his return is never going to happen because of the time it's already taken and he hasn't returned yet. That also should not take us by surprise. Second Peter 3, 4 says, They will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So even here in 2 Peter, we see this allusion to the fact that it's going to take a while. Uh, It will be a period of time that will be long enough that many people will start to scoff. Many people will start to mock and say it's not going to happen. It has been too long. So we should not be surprised that he seems to Terry. Now we also know why he is waiting. Why doesn't Jesus just come back right now? Second Peter 3 9 says he wants more people to believe. He wants more people to be gathered into his kingdom before he comes back again. Okay, so verse 1 tells us the theme of the book of Revelation. It is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus gives that revelation to us so that we can know the things that will happen and be ready for them. And these things could take place at any time. And it says in the latter part of verse 1, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So you have God the Father giving this to God the Son, who then gives it to an angel who then gives it to John, who is then a witness to us. So we see that God often works in this way. He entrusts his message to his people, and then he wants his people to pass it on. 
That is how the gospel is shared. So whenever a person is part of this process of the transmission of God's message to his people, that is a great blessing. Now John took his role as a witness very seriously. Throughout his writings, he often refers to the fact that his goal is to faithfully pass on the things he's an eyewitness account to. So this book, here we see the author is John. That is the disciple of Jesus. He wrote the book of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He refers to himself in the book of John as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, of all of the disciples, John is the one who lived the longest. Uh, Historical tradition tells us that most likely all of the other disciples were martyred, whereas John lived to a very old age. Later in the book of Revelation, we will see that he was exiled on the island of Patmos when he wrote when he wrote this book. So John is bearing witness. And I want to turn quickly to 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. This is another letter that he wrote. And we can get some of his perspective as he is writing these words to us. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. We have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So we see in here many references to the fact that John saw. He was an eyewitness of Jesus and he wanted to accurately convey the things he saw and the things that he heard. So he viewed himself as a messenger to pass on those things which God had revealed to him, which is exactly the same role he is doing in the book of Revelation. So John was greatly privileged to have a first row seat of Jesus' first coming. And now, of all of the people in the world, he has this great blessing to see a vision of the second coming and all of these events around it. Now, in both cases, he was responsible to pass on what he saw and heard. There is an important application for us here. God wants you to testify of him to those around you. You have witnessed answers to prayer, providence, life transformation due to the gospel. God has done a work in your life. Tell others. Be a witness. John was a witness who passed on what he heard and saw. And we should be witnesses as well. So every person, even new believers, are expected to tell others of what God has done in our lives. Are you doing that? Do you regularly share testimonies of God's goodness to your circle of friends and family? That's a question we should continue to ask ourselves. And if we're not being a good witness, let us make up our mind to be a witness of him so others can know about God's plan and so they can join his kingdom. I'm going to go forward and read verse 3. It says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So as I mentioned before, this is a very special blessing because it is the only book in the Bible 
that's accompanied by a blessing for those who read and follow it. Why do you think that is? Why of all 66 books in the Bible, this is the one that has a blessing? I think one possible reason for this special blessing is God knows that this book is difficult and it's hard to understand. Many believers may be tempted to skip this book, to focus on others which are simpler, to say, ah, this hurts my head, I can't understand it. So just let it be, let it go, skip it. But this blessing is an important reminder, studying this book is well worth the time. It is a challenge, but it's a rewarding one. So notice also this blessing is not given to those who read it. Reading it is the first part, but then it says you need to hear it, and then you need to keep what is written. Now, it's possible to read or listen to Revelation or any part in Scripture without really hearing it. Now, we've probably all been there when uh, I know I myself, sometimes I'm working, maybe I'm working on my computer, preparing a message, and my wife comes along and she talks to me and she says, uh, Jason, and she tells me a number of things, and I'm like, mm, mm, yeah, mm, okay, sure, dear, mm-hmm. And then at some point in the conversation, she might ask a question and say, did you hear me, mm? And then, what? You know, maybe I didn't really fully focus on or hear the words that she said. They were not going in, right? So there may have been some kind of external shallow reaction like mm or nod of the head, but that's not really hearing. Sometimes when we go to church, we do the same thing. We hear the words of the sermon, but then if someone asks us what did it mean or what did he say, we can't remember because our minds are somewhere else. We are not fully engaged. We are not listening with our hearts, with the desire to learn and understand. Sometimes when we read the Bible by ourselves, we do the same thing. We say, I want to read through the Bible in a year. Today I need to read four chapters. And we go through the chapters and we read them and we check them off. But when we finish all of those pages, we might realize, I don't remember anything that I read. I was scanning through, I, I read it, but I don't get anything because my mind was not there. So let us not read the book of Revelation in that way. As we study through it, let us incline our hearts to understand. Part of that includes we should pray to God. And we should say, God, enlighten us. God, show us what you mean. Give us insight. Give us understanding. Taking notes is also a great idea. As we go through, take notes of what God is telling you and of important verses, important principles. Write down questions that you have and study with your heart to fully learn the content inside. Then this is made even more clear with the admonition to keep what is written. This verse is very important. We should not take it lightly. In fact, this verse will guide our approach as we go through this entire book of Revelation. So my approach as I go through this book is to focus on the practical aspect. How can we keep, how can we do what is written inside? Obedience to the principles within is what brings the blessing. So my approach is not to come at Revelation from an academic perspective, to somehow find the, the key 
to interpret the mysteries within, but it's rather to accurately divide the word of truth. And yes, we seek to interpret it correctly, but that interpretation is a means to an end. The end goal is not just correct interpretation. We shouldn't just seek to pat ourselves on the back and say, ah, I, I did a good job studying Revelation. I now fully understand it. The goal is application. That is why I like the term study and obey. It's, we see it again and again and again in Scripture. And here it is again. We read, we hear, we do. We study and we obey what we find within. So we want to grow in our understanding of Jesus. We are seeking to grow our faith, to grow our holiness as we focus on him. So remember, this is a revelation of Jesus. So the study of revelation should above all be a practical one. At every point in our study, our investigation of this book, we should ask ourselves, what do I need to obey from this passage? For the first passage here today, I believe what we need to do is focus on Jesus. He is the one who's being revealed through this passage. Let us grow in our appreciation for him. Let us grow in our love for him, in our awe and admiration of him as we look at him as he will be revealed. King of kings, Lord of lords, judge of the universe. We hope that you enjoyed the beginning of our study on Revelation. We just did the first three verses. And in the next lesson, we will continue on from there. To see our entire library of over 800 Bible studies, please visit our website at www.studyandobey.com.